Good evening, folks. This is your host, Terry Farley in Dallas, Texas. Now calling to each one of you from the eye of the storm. The eye is at the very center of a hurricane. Regardless of how powerful the hurricane, the eye at the center is calm. God's word leads us to the eye, for the Lord encourages each of us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Thank you each and every one very much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Welcome to all, including all of our new listeners. Greetings from the eye of the storm. (laughs) Tonight, we continue our heading for Calm Harbor, our port of call centered at the very eye of the storm. First, a shout out to David and Sergio for your continuing and encouraging comments uh, on on YouTube. Uh, And so uh, thank you for that. Opening to Proverbs, let me invite all who desire to grab their Bibles to follow along. We'll be continuing our trek through Proverbs, picking up again in chapter 16. That will be chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. And then, of course, we'll be uh, adding this evening our parashah uh, portion, and you'll get that uh, at the end there. Uh, Chapter 16, again, verses 1 through 5. A foreword for chapter 16 might include the notation that before the reader lies a personal pathway to righteousness and excellence, as these verses endeavor to reveal the actions of the righteous as well as the wicked as God leads. His instructions are made plain for each individual to choose their path in life, placing one's full dependence on God, guarantees a successful life imbued with righteousness wisdom, and the words and distinctions that mark the path of God. Again, chapter 16, beginning with verses 1 through 5. The preparations of the heart in man uh, and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord has made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Verse 1, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The depths of this first verse are overwhelming me right now. I've just been reading from an autobiographical adventure of my early days leading to Jesus. A practice when writing has always been to strive to begin fresh without preconceived ideas in order that the work itself will be fresh and original. Yet here we find that ultimately God prepares our hearts and even provides the answers we give. It makes for deep considerations for me since I'm now living through my seventh decade on this earth. As noted previously, even though This is a passage in Proverbs covered dozens of times and read uh, through the years. Astonishment still surfaces when being confronted with God's closeness in leadership. This realization 
only continues deepening appreciation for God's leadership. Verse 2 clarifies our need to draw near to the Lord for understanding, since we think our thoughts and statements are clean, while God is weighing their true value. Verse 3 directs the believer to commit his works to the Lord, thereby establishing proper thoughts. Verse 4 returns the reader to God as creator, even to the wicked, for the day of evil. Once more, God reveals pride is an abomination to him in verse 5, and those in prideful agreement shall be punished. Verses 6 through 9. By mercy and truth, in it, equity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. As the uh, famous 19th century Methodist Episcopal preacher Sam Jones used to declare, stop your sinning. A simplification of that plea comes in verse 6, declaring that sin, or iniquity, is purged by mercy and truth. He would preach so powerfully that it was said his sweat would cover the first six rows of people in the meetings. In our day and age, sin of all kinds is rampant throughout the world. Practicing mercy and truth will turn each one of us in the right direction. Confirmation of this teaching follows in verse 7, noting when a man's ways please God, God makes even the man's enemies to be at peace with him. We can glimpse the cohesiveness of God's word in verse 8, where we learn little with righteousness is superior to great revenues without right. A side light to this passage extends understanding to the sublime. We know how often throughout Proverbs the instruction to righteousness is proffered, yet one is vaulted to our very moment when discovering the reward for daily anticipating Jesus' shout, shout, that reward shall be a crown of righteousness, revealing the path to one of God's most esteemed blessings. Verse 9 returns the observant to Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, as once more, though our hearts devise our ways, it is God who directs our steps. Verses 10 through 13. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresses not in judgment. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings. They love him that speaks right. We discover God's sovereignty once again in verse 10, where the lips of the king speak a divine sentence, and his mouth sins not in judgment. As in a mirror of verse 1 of this chapter 16, we begin to perceive God's leading even in the speaking of the world. We again see in verse 11, the Lord's measures are just weights and balances. In fact, all the weights of the bag are God's work. Notice verse 12 does not say kings will not commit wickedness, 
What it says is when kings do commit wickedness, it is an abomination to the Lord because God establishes the throne in righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, verse 13, and the subjects love the king that speaks right. Verses 14 through 17. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keeps his way preserves his soul. Verse 14 discovers the wrath of a king is as the messenger of death. Thus is the power God bestows on royalty. Revealing that wisdom pacifies this wrath, one more good reason to cultivate wisdom. Conversely, verse 15 informs life issues from the light of the king's countenance, and his favor is as the cloud of the latter rain, which ensures a good harvest. Wisdom's value is revealed in verse 16, being better than gold, understanding is of greater choice than silver. Departing from evil is taking the high road, as verse 17 reminds. All who keep their way preserve their own souls. Verses 18 through 21. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handles a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increases learning. As verse 18 describes, words written on the page are often easily understood, easily explained, but often challenging to practice. Pride can affect everything and result in destruction. Verse 19 elaborates, identifying haughtiness, what is called in modern parlance as being cocky, leading to a fall. An excellent reason why the Christian life is described as a walk, not a run. Many of these encouragements seem obvious, yet focusing on them helps one to realize the depths of truth being taught. Verse 20 states that handling matters wisely brings good, and that those who trust in the Lord are happy. Striving to walk with the Lord reveals often how far off the track we really are, causing us to continue refocusing and increasing our effort to toe the line. If someone calls you prudent, they are complimenting you for your wisdom. Sweetness of the lips actually increases learning, verse 21 reveals. Verses 22 through 25. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, 
and health to the bones. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Common sense was a founding principle to those early pilgrims who first landed in, in America. Entering a world they knew nothing about forced them to take things slow and concentrate on what was in front of them, being careful not to jump to hasty decisions and conclusions. Common sense leads to understanding, and understanding is a wellspring of life to those who have it. Conversely, the instruction of fools is folly, which is a lack of good sense. Verse 23 stresses wisdom builds the heart, teaching the mouth to speak, in which in turn adds learning to the lips. Verse 24 expands on this thought, adding that pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Wisdom adjures in verse 25 that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. A group of laborers were gathered on the roof of a building discussing how to break a frozen board from a wall without damaging the wall. Some of you may remember this from an earlier lesson. There was a man that joined the group and jeered these men, telling them all they needed to do, all they needed to do was kick the board to knock it loose. One of the laborers agreed that that might be the solution, but cautioned, of course, you also might break your foot in knocking the board loose. Verses 26 through 29. He that labors, labors for himself, for his mouth craves, craves it of him. An ungodly man digs up evil, but in his lips there is a burning fire. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separates chief friends. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him into the way that is no good. Verse 16 recognizes laboring can be short-sighted, but Jesus commanded laboring for God brings eternal rewards. Perhaps the writer of Proverbs was looking to the danger of only seeking one's own welfare. Without God, one stirs up evil in verse 27, and his lips spew a burning fire. Likewise, in verse 28, a froward man, there's that frowardness again, sows strife, and a whisperer separates chief friends. This verse hits close to home in my memories. Working in the fields as a young man, a worker began crossing back and forth through the rows of corn, telling one man of things I was supposed to have said about him. Getting a reaction, he would then cross over to tell me what that guy had said about me. By the time we reached the end of the rows we were working on, we both came out into the open ready for bear. Sadly, it was all for the purpose of the troublemaker having what he thought was a bit of fun. It helped me to learn to strive going to the source before making a judgment. Verse 29 corroborates verse 28, declaring a violent man entices his neighbor, leading him into the way that is not good. And our final four verses of chapter 16, verses 30 through 33, 
Verse 30 finishing off the warning about the troublemaker, alerting the reader that he shuts his eyes to devise forward things, moving his lips, he brings evil to pass. Verse 31, the hoary head is a crown of glory in, uh, if it be found in the way of righteousness. Verse 31 was a favorite of a teacher in Bible school, Mr. Dykes. He would quote the first line of the verse, knowing that everyone in class was staring at his full head of silver gray hair. The hoary head, or the gray-haired man, is a crown of glory, and then quickly throwing his finger in the air to emphasize if it be found in the way of righteousness. And he would lean heavily on the if with strong emphasis while finishing, I've met plenty of gray-haired fools in my life. Verse 32 is always pleasant to read uh, and to reread it. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. Having battled a temper forged in early youth, long short story, uh, a long story short, coupled with an unruly spirit into my young adult life, cultivated a uh, cultivating a cool spirit is always a blessed reminder of the right way to walk. One verse supports this truth amazingly, Proverbs 17.27, which is in fact in our very next chapter. It bears previewing here. He that has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. I was thrilled when teaching a high school Sunday school class of young men to discover the proper translation for excellent and then share it with them to their amazement. Excellent is more clearly translated as chill. Yes, telling folks to chill, chill out is absolutely biblical. Nearly two millennia before chilling became the popular description it is today of taking it easy. Chill out, dude. Closing out chapter 16 with verse 33 again brings up warm memories of encouragement through the years. So often when struggling through a problem, the Lord would bring this verse to my memory. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Life happens, as we all know, and when it does, it is calming and strengthening to remember that the Lord encourages us, don't worry, I've got this. That finishes chapter 16. We'll pick up next week, the good Lord willing, with chapter 17. And this evening, as I mentioned, we continue our new element to the Eye of the Storm mini Padishahs, perspectives from Tanakh portions. Tonight from Exodus, what's in a name? Padishah Shemot, or names, part two, taking from Exodus 1, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 1. Picking up in last week's portion, from being tossed into the river, of course, Moses, the deliverer, is delivered, being found by Pharaoh's own daughter, who decides to raise Moses herself. The casual reader would hardly think that someone named Drawn Out would grow to become the chosen one to free Israel from bondage. But then, what is in a name? Moses grows up and, and does discover that he is in fact Jewish and goes out to observe his people. He spies an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and intervenes, killing the Egyptian and stowing the body in the sand. The next day, Moses finds two Hebrew men fighting and tries to mediate between the two, challenging the instigator on his actions, demanding, why are you striking your companion? 
To which the perpetrator replies, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Exodus 2, 13, 14. Unlike the famous Ten Commandments uh, rendition of the story, Moses actually escapes the unnamed Pharaoh in his wrath, fleeing to the land of Midian, Exodus 2.15. It is during Moses' sojourn in the land of Midian where he meets, saves, and weds a Midianite woman, Zipporah, who bears Moses a son he names Gershom. For Moses says, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Time passes, and back in Egypt, the unknown king dies, and the children of Israel cry out to God, and he hears them, remembering his covenant, and acknowledges them. Then Moses encounters the angel of the Lord on Mount Horeb when he is tending his father's flock. Moses spies a burning bush that is not consumed and turns aside to see this phenomenon. The angel of the Lord appears to Moses out of the midst of the flame of fire of the bush. Here God calls Moses. God commissions Moses to deliver his people from Egyptian bondage and lead them to the land of promise. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And it is here and now that God reveals to Moses and the reader what is truly in a name. When Moses inquires of God who it is Moses is to say has given him the authority to, to lead the children of Israel, God replies, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Exodus 3, 13 and 14. The actual and more accurate translation of God's name that he gives here to Moses can be given as I am that I am to be, or to become. Strong's Exhaustive Concordance Hebrews number 1961. And this name is fully clarified when Jesus confronts the Jews with his identity. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophet, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? and the prophets are dead, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honored myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 8, verses 52 through 58. Now watch closely. In Exodus, the mountain with Moses, God said, I am that I am to be. I am that I am to become. In John eight fifty-eight, Jesus says, I am. In the original Greek from Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, Greek, number 1510, I me. I me. The term used in the first person, singular, present tense, indicative case. 
And from the American Heritage Dictionary of English Language, we read, indicative, serving to point out or indicate. In grammar, pertaining to or designating a verb mood used to indicate that the denoted act or condition, in this case, the condition of being, is an objective fact. Jesus didn't say, as God said to Moses, I am that I am to be or become. Jesus said, I am, period. Not that he was to become, but rather that he is, and he is God. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Which brings us to the answer for the question, what's in a name? And the answer, when it has to do with God, is everything. And at this time of the year, in this celebration of the birth of Jesus, and I understand he was probably born in the fall, but we're not going to into that one today. His name is, the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus. We celebrate his birth because he died for us and shed his blood for us. And we declare his name to the world because he died for their sins, even if they don't believe in him. If they will call on him, he will save them, each and every one that calls on him. He will save them. Call on Jesus, confess your sins, and receive him as your savior. That's all you need to do to start your walk in eternity with Jesus. And while you have the time, when you get a chance, you're certainly welcome to check out my books online. Just Google T.L. Farley Books. Maranatha, O Lord, come. Maranatha. And that's the wrap for this evening, folks. May we all join together in prayer that each of us has a good night. And the Lord willing, until we meet next time, or until Jesus shouts and we meet in the air or at supper, here's bidding you all, each and every one, the very best Jesus has to offer you. From the eye of the storm, this is your host, Terry Farley bidding you a good evening.